Thanks for tuning in. I'm Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch Podcast. In this episode, I am joined by the executive director of Speech First. Uh, her name is Sharice Trump, and she's going to be joining us today to talk about some of the uh, First Amendment challenges that her group works on on college campuses. Uh, we all know that the First Amendment has had so many challenges in the last several years. And if you've been paying attention, you know that some of those have happened on college campuses. But where it starts to get strange is that most people think that college campuses are actually the great protectors of free speech. Okay. And it turns out they're one of the places that actually some of the worst challenges have been happening. So, Sharice, uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your group. Tell me about, first, just tell me about Speech First, um, what you do there. I know you have a litigation arm. I want to ask you a little bit about that. Um, what What is your mandate? What are you trying to accomplish? Yeah, so Speech First is a nonprofit membership organization that litigates on behalf of its student members against universities that have policies which violate those students' free speech rights and First Amendment rights. So we primarily, just like in our name, you know, focus on free speech issues. Um, and I, the, one of the great things about our organization is because we sue on behalf of our members, we actually um, can keep their names anonymous. So you don't, you're not going to see our cases have like one be focused around one incident and one student and have their name kind of dragged through everything. Um, but we actually, you know, have a number of students that we work with that have expressed that they feel like their speech on campus has been chilled or that they're afraid to speak up due to, you know, real disciplinary action that could be taken against them um, by the university based on the policies that they have. And that that's kind of what we create our case around. And I'm happy to go more into um, what we've seen in our cases, but also, you know, on the other side, um, Speech First at, uh, has an advocacy arm. You know, we we help students kind of stand up for their free speech rights on campus by arming them with, you know, the proper language and the good arguments that they should be making um, and kind of just encouraging them to do so. But we also educate students and the public generally as well on, uh, you know, various issues that are going on, um, not only through, you know, just kind of pushing out various articles, but also through like we have a podcast called Well Said, where we kind of interview experts on various free speech issues that are kind of happening today that we see the attack on free speech um, speak you know speaking at uh, various conferences for these uh, clubs and organizations on campus that are you know aren't defenders of uh, ardent defenders sorry of um, free speech on campus such as you know young Americans for Liberty young Americans for freedom um, college Republicans and all of these types of groups too so we do try to you know wear many hats but our main arm is going to be our litigation arm Okay, so tell me just a little bit about uh, what trends you're seeing. Why is a group like yours necessary? I know there have been a lot of articles about, um, you know, conservative speakers who have been, you know, had their their talks canceled because of protests or right. um, students themselves, as you mentioned, uh, fearful of disciplinary action if they don't tow a certain ideological line. So yeah. what are some of the more egregious uh, examples of that? And if you can talk about any of the litigation that you've worked on, maybe cases mm -hmm. that have already been settled, that would be great. What, what are you seeing out there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the biggest threat that we're seeing right now to free speech on college campuses, um, it, it's twofold. One is um, self-censorship. And that is 
so we, you hear about all these stories in the media about, you know, various issues, students kind of going after their schools or, you know, clubs not getting recognized. And these are all really important issues. And, you know, free speech has been um, kind of talked about a lot on campuses. But what's happening today, even more so, is students are actually just not speaking up at all. Um, they are they are kind of keeping their heads down because they know that if they don't speak up, they they pretend, most likely will not see any issues either from the administrators on campus or on social media from their peers or in the classroom from their professors and their peers as well. Um, you know, students, we've, oh gosh, I've heard so many stories and I'm happy to go give some examples as well. The stories where students, um, are called out for being conservative in their classroom, are um, labeled as bigots or racists in front of their entire class, um, you know, and completely, completely singled out. Um, we've seen uh, incidents, and this is just kind of on campuses in general with very specific incidents. We've seen incidents where students are, they know that if they say something, they'll be completely lambasted on social media. Um, and they, that will affect, you know, what what scholarships they might have or you know what travel abroad programs they want to apply to but also what jobs they might want to have in the future and students are very very aware of this they know that social media will seriously affect you know what's posted about them online is going to seriously affect their future um so this now so the biggest issue i see right now is self-censorship students are afraid to speak up they're afraid to express their viewpoints, um, especially conservative students. Um, and, you know, with what's going on with the policies, which is what we primarily focus on at Speech First, is looking at the policies and whether they violate um, the students' First Amendment rights, is whether or not there's actual discipline associated with speaking up and expressing your viewpoints, which surprisingly you would think that today's day and age, like there's nothing that, you know, that people you would think that it was schools would just basically let you kind of say what you want at this point um and that's just not true now it's if you campuses have these things called bias response teams and they go by very different names all over campuses um and if you speak up or say something or express yourself um and this is written in the policies for the school uh, for the school saying that if you say something that's offensive or unwanted speech Another fellow student can anonymously, anonymously, I want to emphasize that, report on you. And you can actually be required or mandated to go to diversity training. You can be actually, you know, brought in to speak with these bias response teams, which usually consist of administrators, um, diversity, equity, inclusion officers on campus, as well as, you know, um, dorm, you know, campus dorm regulators, as well as police off campus police officers and counselors oftentimes are on these are on these um these bias response teams. So students are genuinely afraid to speak up. And I would say, I did say it was twofold in the beginning. The second side of this is, is just complacency. Um, professors, staff on campus, and students are all kind of just, again, like I said, hoping that if they just kind of wait it out, it'll go away. And unfortunately, that is just not the case. That's not what we've seen. Um, and we've just seen it, got, it get worse and worse over the years. Yeah, so I'm assuming that, um, well, first of all, just the care, how you've characterized this. I mean, I hate to sound trite. It's kind of mm -hmm. a, an overused um, uh, example, but it does sound very big brother, right? It sounds oh, like, totally. yeah. yeah, like you can't just live your life. I remember being in college and it was a very freeing time. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that is not happening anymore. You're really looking over your shoulder, certainly your social media shoulder. Um, right. And there are, there are goods and bads with social media because at the same time that, you know, you worried something that you said might get out there on social media, it's also an opportunity to speak in ways that maybe, you know, you aren't 
allowed to on college campuses, right? You can use your own right. platform. So there are some goods and bads there. Mm-hmm. Um, but even even that avenue of free speech, you never know how that's going to get twisted. So I completely th- empathize with the being young today and trying to go to college. But my question is, is some of the um, are some of the people who are um, pointing out incidences of like that's bad speech are these administrators and professors or is it mostly other students I mean who are students worried are going Mm -hmm. to get them for this yeah so um, that's a that's a really good question and the most disconcerting thing to me is that we have seen a huge increase in students reporting on fellow students Mm -hmm. and so yes it's you know look we already all know this. The college campus has always kind of been, you know, a liberal hub of, of professors and academics and, and administrators, and they've kind of always had a liberal bent to them, um, and or like a bent of the progressive left. Um, and so, you know, of course, there's always the concern with professors and administrators either disciplining students or um, affecting kind of like how well they're doing in class based on the students' personal opinions and political opinions. Um, but even more so today, we are seeing students actively shutting down each other. Um, and it's disturbing because, again, these are the people, they're coming out, they're supposed to be the future leaders of America and of the world. I mean, they're coming out as, um, coming off student government associations, for example. Oh, this is this is a crazy example. Recently, we saw in Pomona College, a student government association, um, they, you know, they control how much clubs uh, can get funding and they kind of control the purse for for the unit for a lot of schools um, and with with recognition as well for the clubs so they voted uh, unanimously that they wanted all clubs on campus in order to receive funding to support and participate in the boycott divestment and sanctions movement against Israel mm-hmm. um, and mind you there are like a bunch of Jewish clubs on this campus too mm-hmm. and so this is just you know the student government is trying to do this and Rutgers Law School student government tried to get clubs in order to receive funding to um, support and um, hold events once a semester excuse me once a semester on um, on critical race theory um, so students are now trying to impress not only their viewpoints, they're trying to compel other students to agree with them, but they're seeing this as like an easy way to debate, to just shut down other students and to to get them in trouble. And the administration is encouraging it through things like the bias response team um, and, and allowing students to report on each other. So why do you, okay, so, and I don't want to keep you too long. Um, I feel like we could talk about this forever. Oh but Yeah, I can talk yeah. about this. <laughs> um, but why do you think that this is happening? I know when I went to school, um, when I went to college many years ago, uh, there, it, you did have the idea that this was a place where you could express yourself in ways that maybe you weren't able to before, depending on which, whatever your background may be. Um, that seems to have really changed in today's environment. So what is the catalyst for this change? Why are organizations like yours so busy? Yeah, that's a great question because there there always kind of have been, well, not always, but, you know, recently there have been a lot of organizations that, um, you know, put effort behind protecting students and their First Amendment rights on campus. Um, FIRE, obviously, is kind of one of the more well-known ones. They've been around for a while. Um, But I think it's it's a couple of reasons. So, One, as I mentioned earlier, students, especially now that social media is kind of the biggest tool that they can use against one another, um, but they can kind of always see what each other are saying and thinking and always express themselves towards each other. So students are realizing, and I 
it, it is being encouraged from outside the campus that, again, like I said, they it is easier. It is much easier to win an argument if you just eliminate the opposing viewpoint. Um, and it's been kind of this multi-generational example that we've been setting and not us, you and I, but I mean, like, you know, on campuses over time, I mean, like I said, they've always kind of had a progressive bent, you know, it's over time, they've always kind of shut this stuff down or not really encouraged open discourse and open debate. And as I mentioned earlier about complacency, you know, a lot of people over the years have just kind of ignored it or let it go. Um, they don't want to start a big fight over, it, especially students, because they obviously want to still graduate and get good grades and like have a decent resume when they when they leave school. So they're not going to speak up a whole lot if they know it's going to come back on their permanent record. Um, so all of this kind of combined, I think students are just starting to, you know, there's there's the ones who are just being very compliant um, and just doing whatever they're told just to get through it. And then there's the ones who are realizing that this is actually a kind of an easy way to, you know, get power and get recognition. We are encouraging kind of those who, you know, speak up the most, get the most attention. So it's like this is a way for them to get noticed and to, to be rewarded in this sense um, to, to shut others down. Um, and this is a big trend we've obviously seen in the last couple of years, too, with just how the protests have been going on and, and these various movements. Um, but there's other reasons, too. You know, it's uh, I think so organizations like FIRE, you know, they've worked a lot with campuses on uh, create developing policies that don't violate the First Amendment. But that's a voluntary basis usually for the university. They choose to go work with organizations like FIRE. Um, a lot of the times they'll kind of come up with something with FIRE and then completely change it into something you know, crazy and Orwellian, like you said later on. Um, but there haven't been groups like ours. Ours is pretty new. We're only a few years old. There haven't been a lot of groups like ours that are just like super aggressive. And we're just like, no, you know what? You don't get a letter for a warning from us. You, the First Amendment was your warning. So we're just going to come in. Um, <laughs> we're going to come in and we're going to sue you because you're violating the First Amendment. And you know, you guys are all educators. You should know better. Um, you should be educating your students on what the First Amendment is, what their rights are. Um, and you're not doing that. And, and you're scaring, you know, these, you're scaring these students into silence. Um, this is not something we want to see continue outside of the campus. So you know, speech first is. Um, like I said, we're pretty aggressive with the way we come in and litigate. Uh, and that's our primary focus is the litigation arm. So uh, that's, you know, that's kind of why we were founded. And, and you know, I think more groups are eventually are going to pop up like ours because it's, you know, they're not they're not listening to the letters. They're not listening to the petitions, you know. Right. Um, I agree. And that's why I think, you know, your approach uh, of being a little bit more aggressive, you know, you're seeing that a lot now that that mm -hmm. people who are like, OK, enough, enough of this. Now we have to be a little bit more on offense rather than on defense. But let's right. let's finish this conversation by uh, talking about, if you would, some wins that you've had. You, you mentioned yeah. that your litigation arm is your primary focus. So what have you done that you've successfully said, yep, we did that. We made that happen. That student can now, you know, uh, feel free not to be harassed and intimidated. What what have you done that's uh, that's in the win column? 
Yeah, so just in the last year alone, um, we've had um, three really great wins. And, you know, one was in against the University of Texas in the Fifth Circuit. So we actually got up to the circuit level and appeals. Um, and I believe the judge um, kind of echoed the sentiment in one of our previous cases um, saying, you know, that these bias response teams are essentially the clenched fist in the velvet glove of student speech regulation, which we just thought was just like an amazing way to put it because it's absolutely true. And that's what it is. Um, so University of Texas, obviously, they had to um eliminate the bias response team and change it uh, in the settlement. They they're required to um, update like their their computer policies and the harassment policies so that they didn't, you know, overtly violate through the language written in the policies, the students first amendment rights. And um, same thing with, you know, we won in this, uh, we settled in the Sixth Circuit against the University of Michigan. And that, again, addressed their issues with the bias response team, which have actually been at the core of a lot of our cases, just because, um, like you mentioned, they're, they're kind of crazy and Orwellian, and you're mm-hmm. encouraging students to report on each other on things that use terminology like unwanted speech, unwanted jokes, offensive speech, which are completely broad and subjective terminology mm-hmm. to be using um, to, to, to lead to kind of discipline or punishment of another student. Um, so, yeah, University of Michigan Sixth Circuit a settlement um, by its response team again, harassment, and um, also we settled against Iowa and actually at the district level, uh, they changed their policies, you know, looking at their, so they uh, restricted what email students could send um, on their network, you know, looking at like, you can't send an email that has a political bent to it, which is just kind of insane when you think about it, you're like, you're telling students that as long as they're on your school network, they can't send a political email. <laughs> and um, it's just, you know, they had chalking ban where people, students couldn't actually write what they wanted to in chalk on the campus. And um, and they also had their campus reporting system and they had to remove all the stuff that talked about bias speech again, you know, this offensive and unwanted speech in those teams. So these have been some of the great successes we've seen in just the last year alone. Um, We've got six cases total under our belt and two are open, as you mentioned, against the Virginia Tech University um, and University of Central Florida. So those are currently open and um, we're waiting uh, to to kind of move forward in those right now. Um, but overall, yeah, it's uh, it's been a good good last year in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great. That's great. I mean, all I keep when people talk to me about, oh, things are so bad out there. I'm like, well, there actually are some concrete things happening that are, you know, reasons to be optimistic. And I think your group clearly is doing some of that work. And unfortunately, this stuff doesn't get uh, reported on as much as it probably should, because the, you know, the the general attitude is that things are really bad. But I'm like, there's some good stuff going on. And I think Speech First is certainly an example of that. Um, and I want to say, too, before um, before I ask you uh, to tell me where people can find Well Said, the podcast, and where they can learn more about your group, you know, as you were talking about uh, these regulations, these bias response teams, you know, the broad language, it just kept going through my mind that this is actually a microcosm example of how you create a police state when you oh. have... Yeah. yeah, when you have all of these extra regulations that lead to, okay, we have to clarify what this broad language means. That's a whole other subset. And it's ha- it's actually a way that, that things get really out of control really quickly. So I'm so, yeah. so happy that a group like yours exists where you're just like, nope, we're tackling that head on. Yeah, so, uh, yeah just on that real quick. I mean, it's it's kind of scary because I've even seen campuses that say, you know, you can report on someone even if they don't speak 
up against the people who are speaking, you know, offensive speech. So mm-hmm. you can actually be reported for being silent in a situation, which just immediately you're like red flag. That's like thought police, you know, mm-hmm. or well, you know, it's a, and it's also just absurd. It, it just yeah, doesn't make any yeah. sense. You were going to say that you are bad for not speaking, for just being quiet. Like that's just it. It, yep. it just flies in the face of anything rational. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell tell uh, listeners where they can find the Well Said podcast, where they can learn more about free speech. Are you on Twitter? Uh, all of those things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so we are on social media platforms, Speech First, um, and you know Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Look us up. But you can always follow me as well, Sharice Trump, on social media. Speechfirst.org is our main website, and you know if you want to sign up for a membership. We rely a lot on our members to kind of come to us and report what's going on on their campus and telling us about their stories of how their speech has been chilled, um, various policies on their campus that are, you know, terrifying them and to, to staying silent. And, um, you know, it's our cases our cases would be nothing without our members. So because they are, you know, they're the ones that we rely on for the information. Um, and, uh you know, we obviously we have the Well Said podcast, like I mentioned. Uh, we also have, uh, so that is on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can download it on any of them. It's just, you know, Well Said with Speech First. And also we have it on the YouTube channel as well. So if you want to watch the videos of me interviewing folks rather than just listen to the podcast, that's also available to you on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. Um, but yeah, let me know. Uh, happy. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Sure. This- this show is really awesome. Um, but feel free, folks, if you want to reach out to us anytime, tell us your story. Yeah, please do. Uh, I think Speech First is, again, one of those groups that is doing some of the work behind the scenes that people should know more about. But maybe in a way, it's good that they are behind the scenes because <laughs> it keeps them from getting attacked. Um, but Cherise, thank you so much for coming on. And that's our show for this week. We encourage you to subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have already subscribed, thank you very much. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll talk again next week. Thanks. Bye.